Alright, people, welcome back to Mediocre Outdoors, episode 13. Uh, this is just another kind of rambling, gambling, spambling little, uh, little episode with me talking about things I've been doing because I have nothing better to do. And uh, I don't really have any good interview content yet. So, uh, this is an episode about me just kind of telling you this history of my dogs and uh, a little bit about how I've been working around the property. Also, uh, I have a few videos up on YouTube now if you go to Mediocre Outdoors on YouTube. Um, I'm starting to put together some short videos for uh, you guys. So, if you do want to watch some how-to stuff. Uh, I got one on there on uh, some fence building. hope to have a couple more in that series coming out shortly. And I have another one on uh, a certain way how to uh, get rid of some noxious brush and weeds and stuff uh, on your property. So uh, check those out. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'd appreciate it. Uh, like it. Uh, you guys, if you can go back there and uh like my uh, like my podcast and uh, give me you know a couple stars or whatever you feel like giving me uh, I'd appreciate it and uh, I'll let you listen to the episode and have a good week. Can everybody hear me? Good. So you ever have one of those days where you're just like it's raining? You're working your butt off and you're just, you know what? Screw it. I am not going to do much today. Well, today is one of those days for me. I'm having a day where I'm just like, screw it. I'm going to sit in my garage and I'm going to talk to people about nothing for as long as I want because I can. So first thing, I cracked open a fresh beer and I decided... That I'm just going to sit in here. Now, I got some boots I need to grease. I got probably plenty of projects. I got a forerunner to put back together. Lots of things I could do, but I don't feel like doing that today. Today, I just feel like talking. So, um, things to talk about. Well, so yesterday, uh, I went up to my property and uh, my next door neighbor, which uh, is a really close friend of mine, kindergarten friend. Anyways, uh, he talked me into, uh, instead of getting heavy equipment up there or paying for certain types of uh, clearing apparatus, whatever, for removing brush, uh, he talks me into this guy who has this machine that's, it's, it's people that don't know how much what kind of machines i'm talking about it's called a skid steer but it's uh you might have heard of them as a bobcat is a brand name but that's kind of a generic term also um they're a little loading uh bucket machine kind of like a tractor but not really anyways this one has a giant drum on it with these crazy looking teeth and it will mess stuff up i mean it it grinds up trees, standing live trees. It'll just kind of mow them down, turn them into wood chips, stumps, blackberries. It turns everything to dirt. Um, it's actually really amazing. I got a YouTube video up 
that uh, you can watch on my channel, a little brief description of what I had done, but uh, it's actually amazing work. Like, there's no way, it would take me years to do that kind of work, and I even tried doing it with a tractor and a brush hog, and it's just, the ground is too steep, or got holes in it, or uh, stuff's just too big and too tight. You just, you, you can't do it. It's either hack it by hand with like a chainsaw and a machete um, or or something. Like the other, my other alternative was to get a, rent an excavator and just start ripping stuff out of the ground. So this was a nice change. Uh, it, he was a little expensive. I, I think roughly when it was all said and done, I mean, I had a really bad area that I had him do. But on average, for what he was doing from my neighbor, um, kind of what I was seeing, it's about 300 bucks an hour or about 300 bucks an acre. He's doing about an acre an hour for most ground. It gets a little nastier than that. It takes him a little longer uh, to chew through some stuff. Then you're not going to quite get as much for the money, but it was amazing. Um, like I said, uh, it, I, I highly recommend everybody go to YouTube and look at, look at the uh, YouTube videos I put up. It's just a short five-minute clip, but... Uh, give you some before and afters. Uh, anyways, but this thing, um, I was very hesitant spending that kind of money because to me, three hundred bucks. Anyways, but uh, yeah, it, it in the end, uh, it's totally worth it. Now, I mean, <laughs> if I was to do my entire property, it would probably cost me like ten grand to do something like this. Um, but if I do it in small doses and in, in spots that I really need it, it could be pretty cool. So, anyways, we had him do some of that the other day, and uh, it turned out really well. Everything, basically, any fiber left on the ground from the trees or logs that were there, or stumps, it's just now, like, it's like hog fuel or, or beauty bark, you know, it's just wood chips on the ground. Just It just mulched it. And, uh, yeah, so it's very manageable. Looks a million times better. Now I gotta go in and spray uh, to keep the blackberries at bay so they don't take over that whole area again, and then plant some grass seed eventually. And, uh, actually, me and the wife, we got up this morning, and so I think yesterday was May Day, and, uh, we ended up, through some friends and people we know, ended up with, uh, some, uh, some baby trees and so some seedlings, and, uh, so we decided that we'd take that cleared area and we would plant those those trees. So I think we planted like 30, 30 some trees today, some some noble fir, some some western red cedar and uh, and a few hemlock, uh, western hemlock. But uh yeah, so it was kind of cool, you know, we got to mow that stuff down and then re replant it with some good trees and uh my nemesis the blackberry is is getting taken care of slowly but surely. Um, it is an alternative to spray, I'll tell you that. So, my normal job, um, I do a fair amount of chemical spraying. I mean, it's it's an absolute necessity. Um, you just can't keep up with the vegetation growth where I live. It just, it'll overcome anything and everything. So, it's basically a jungle. And so, if you don't use chemical spray, um, it just... You can never keep up with it. it. It'll overtake your rows. It'll overtake your crops. It'll overtake everything. So, 
do a fair amount of that, but I I'm not a I'm not a huge fan. Um, if there is another way, another alternative, especially on my own property, that I can do to keep me from using chemical spray, um, this machine is it. Now it's the cost is astronomical compared to spray, um, but it's instantaneous. You know, the spray you got to spray it, you got to let it die, then you got to go back in there with some kind of equipment, a, a bush cutter, a sickle uh, hedge cutter machine, a machete, a chain, something, and, and clear those blackberries out after they're dead. Where with this thing, there's nothing, man. You, you, you got bare dirt. You can, well, well, we did it one day. The next day, we planted trees on that ground. It's just like, here you go. Do what you need to do. And not to mention that that machine will fluff up the dirt. It kind of actually has about a four-inch tooth on it that uh, that will grind up even the topsoil so it's nice and fluffy and it'll plant really nice. So, anyways, this thing is super cool. Um, I've never seen one before. I've seen other machines similar. Um, I think there's actually some YouTube videos of the attachment that he used on this machine that actually did the work, the drum, uh, attached to some excavators. And I've watched those YouTube videos and watched them just literally go from the top of a tree and just chew it into chips as it just kind of lets the arm of the excavator to the ground, like that fast. Just, as it just gravity flows down, that tree's gone. Uh, it's kind of cool. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a little weird, the fact that I was having somebody kill trees on May Day, but I replanted on the second day of May, so um, I feel like I'm all better for that. Got rid of the undesirables and planted the desirables. Um, so, hopefully now with, uh, within a couple years, we'll be able to have uh, enough Christmas trees that we can supply the whole family with Christmas trees, and they won't have to go out and buy them. So, you know, you kind of turn it around, do what we can. It's kind of a hobby, but at the same time, if we can, if we can help out others with it with, while we're playing around, it'd be kind of fun. But uh, anyways, we planted trees today, and uh, I kind of made the wife go out with me, and she wasn't too thrilled because it was raining sideways. But uh, we got them in. It was it was a little bit more work. The our ground has a little more clay in it than I thought originally, so. There's that. Anyways, so I don't I don't really care uh, about the soil. It's not going to make that much difference. I know things are growing there, but it was just kind of a pain in the butt. So we got that cleaned up and got everything taken care of. And um, the wife was a little upset with me because she was muddy and dirty when we were all done. But I thought it was kind of cool. So whatever. Um, and that was that. And now today I'm just recouping and hanging out. Uh, so, give me go to my second point. Uh, now that I'm starting to upload stuff onto the Mediocre Outdoors YouTube channel, um, I'm learning a whole bunch of new stuff. Like how much of a pain in the ass it is to upload something to YouTube when you don't know what the heck you're doing. Uh, so that's been a hurdle. But I think I finally figured it out. Uh, it's just... The way I would normally upload something or go retrieve something from one screen, you actually kind of do it backwards. 
um, which was um, different. But thanks to all the people out there with how-tos and tutorials and how to do this. So uh, I think I finally kind of got through that. And now um, I'm just kind of rambling about nothing. We're just podcasting the podcast. So you're literally listening to this because you have nothing better to do. And so you're listening to me just talk, which is a crazy concept, but, you know, I do it all the time myself. So, um, yeah, here we are. <sighs> COVID update. COVID update. Um, sounds like Tuesday they're going to open up fishing and recreation in the state of Washington. Now we'll see how that goes because the first thing I've heard from everybody I know is, well, shit, let's go to the lake. It's supposed to be 80 degrees. Well, that might have some problems. I don't know, but we'll see. But that doesn't sound like a very good idea to me, but uh, we'll see. I, I'm actually thinking I might get to sneak off for a turkey trip. So um, where I turkey hunt is about eight hours from where I live. Still in the same state, but it's a long ways away. And, uh, I have, uh, I have some contacts in that area that, uh, so, cause you can't camp yet. You can't stay at any, stay at any parks or anything or any kind of, uh, campgrounds or camp on state land. So, um, I've devised a plan to where I'm going to rent a space of ground on my friend's 80 acres and uh, we're just going to stay out in the middle of nowhere. Um, so me and, uh, and my kids. We'll see how that goes. Who knows? Let's see if it'll even happen. I mean, it's just kind of a quick down and dirty hunt if we can go. Might not be able to go. I don't know. Um, I don't even know what the restrictions are as far as driving across the state. Um and, and, you know, this is kind of the issue is that the way I'm planning on doing this, the only time I'm going to have contact with any other person other than the people I have contact with day in and day out, being my kids, um, would be when I stop at a gas station. And as long as I get all my food and, and uh, all my necessaries packed before I leave and do a good job of... Uh, prepping for this hunt, I should only have to have contact with anybody maybe two or three times in the entire four-day trip. Uh, and that would be specifically just to fuel up my truck and get us from one to the other place. Uh, other than that, it, it could, we could actually do this hunt as safe as you could do it in a covert, COVID America. So, um, I don't see any reasons why I couldn't do this. I don't feel guilty about doing this. Um, I'm not infringing on anybody. I'm not taking or bringing anything to anybody. I'm just literally going out in the woods and procuring some meat um, for the freezer. And so, I'm curious to see how this is going to work, being that it's my first hunt. Um... I don't want to say post-COVID crisis, but 
kind of, I guess it's kind of post, because I would say the, well, or current COVID crisis, I guess, maybe is the way to say it. Anywho, so uh, hopefully this uh, this happens in the next few weeks, and uh, I can be here telling you about the podcast where I took my kids out and we killed some turkeys and the great adventure that we had. So look for that. Uh, it'll, it'll be one of two things. Either it's going to be, hey, check out this great turkey um, podcast I did and all the cool stories. Or it's going to be, yeah, we didn't get a go because of X, Y, or Z. Um, but at this point, it's looking like a cool adventure. Uh, I'm hoping to get out and do a little fishing this coming weekend after the lakes open up and fishing opens back up. And then I'm going to be prepping for, um, normal hunting season, hopefully. But, uh, I also have a friend that is looking to, uh, to move, uh, to Idaho and after talking with him, uh, I might have some really good future opportunities uh, with some contacts in Idaho, which would be kind of fun for me. Uh, I always like hunting Idaho, and I always seem to lately find an excuse not to hunt out of state, whether it be cost or time or something. And it seems like every time I do that, the following year I kick myself for not doing it. So... Uh, maybe that'll be something I get to do this year. So as of right now, my hunting plans look to be um, making this turkey hunt this spring. And then if everything in the COVID world um, progresses closer to normal by August, I'm hoping to get a little bear hunting in. And then I drew a multi-season deer tag, which uh, for you that don't know, that is a, uh, you pay a little extra, actually pay a lot extra, for a tag that you can draw in a, basically it's a raffle, um, where you can purchase a specialty tag that allows you to hunt all uh, of the different weapon seasons for deer or elk, depending on which one you draw. I drew the deer. Um, now you're still only allowed one deer, but if you say, let's say you hunt deer for archery and you don't kill a deer during archery season, uh, then you can hunt muzzleloader season. And if you by chance don't kill a deer in muzzleloader season or archery season, you have a chance to shoot one during modern rifle season. So basically if you're a horrible hunter, um, or a very... Uh, unlucky hunter like myself, uh, it just gives you more opportunities for to take it to take a deer, and it gives you an opportunity to pass up uh, maybe some opportunities you wouldn't normally pass up because you'd be too worried that uh, you wouldn't get another chance. And that's you know that's something we we haven't really talked about that maybe um, maybe I should talk about more. Uh, so. Depending on where you live, uh, your game uh, game animals maybe it might not be a ch as much of a challenge. In other places, it could be a huge challenge. 
So I know from hunting out of state that if I go to the right areas, uh, I don't have, I mean, what I'm looking at is a lifetime deer in other places. And I'm deciding whether to shoot it or not, because it's, there's, there's one there and there's 10 more right behind it. And they're all what I would consider a lifetime animal in other areas. Uh, like my area, for instance, it's so brushy and, and broken ground, steep, um, brushy, gross, just horrible country for, uh, for hunting in. Now, do I've hunted my whole life, so I'm used to it, but at the same time, I, I grew up hunting as a meat hunter, so if I'm rifle deer hunting, the only thing you can shoot is an antlered animal. Well, you might only see, in three weeks that you get to hunt, you might only see one antlered animal. And if he happens to be a small one, say a spike or a two-point, which is a young deer, and I shot many of them in my day, but um, I'd rather shoot a bigger one, that might be your only opportunity at seeing an antler deer. You might get one shot. So, I guess what I'm getting at is that, for me, the multi-season tag for where I hunt gives me way better opportunity to select and harvest a mature animal and or um, get, get more than one opportunity. So I don't feel like that first little spike I see, I have to take it. Otherwise, I'm going to go hungry. Um, which, when I say hungry, I'm never going to go hungry because I can buy beef at the store. I can raise my own beef. I mean, hunting, as much as I would love to live strictly off of venison, um, I, I'm just not that good a hunter, and I don't spend enough money to do that. Can you do that? Yes, I know plenty of people do that, but they spend a lot more on out-of-state hunting, special permits, special uh, lease uh, lease permits, uh, so they can hunt special lands, so they have more animals, less people. I hunt public land. I always have. I mean, now, don't get me wrong. If I have a chance to hunt private land, and I can do it on the cheap, or I know somebody that gives me an opportunity, I'm going to take it. Because I'm, I'm not a public land snob to where I'm only going to hunt public land. That, that's just idiotic. But public land is what I have to hunt. And because I'm not going to spend money on uh, something that I can do for free, then, you know what, I'm not going to do that. So, anyways, uh, I, I did spend a little money this time. So I, I am going to spend a little bit extra for my deer tag uh, just to give me that opportunity to take hopefully a bigger animal and give me more time to take an animal. So ramble, ramble, ramble. Here I go. If that made any sense to you, I got a multi-season deer. I'm going archery for elk, which starts the middle of September. Um, and archery deer will start first of September. So I will, first part of September, I will be hunting deer and elk with archery. And then uh, come early October, the first week of October, I'll be hunting deer with my muzzleloader. And if I haven't killed anything by then, uh, the rest of the month of October, I'll be rifle hunting for deer. 
Now, I'm hoping that I can kill something sooner than that because of my passion. What I really love doing is bird hunting. Um, I have my little Brittany, and I love to go upland hunting with him. Uh, chucker, grouse, pheasant, quail, you name it. I would love to do nothing more than to early September, shoot an elk, shoot a deer. I don't care if they're cows, does, bulls, whatever I can shoot. Throw that meat in the freezer, process it, do what I need to do, and then spend the rest of the year bird hunting. So, uh, that's something we really haven't talked about a lot yet, is big game hunting versus uh, small game hunting. And honestly, I will small game hunt any day over big game hunt. Big game hunting is no fun. There's nothing fun about it. Um, it's exciting when you pull the trigger, and it's exciting when you finally are rewarded for all the grueling, painstaking, crappy, horrible days in the field. And I say that because I work in the woods, and I recreate in the woods, and there is nothing worse than late October, rainy, foggy, wet brush, beating the crud out of yourself, only to come home empty-handed day after day after day. And maybe, if you're lucky, you shoot a spike and you retrieve, you know, 65 pounds of meat. Now, don't get me wrong. You, you can, with a modern rifle in this state, you have a really good chance of killing a deer. You're not going to do it every year, not like other places I know. I mean, I know there's some places where you whitetail hunt where you could, you could swing your gun around and kill a deer. Like, they're just everywhere. And deer hunting is not even a challenge. Here, where I live, you got to work for your animal. Not only do you got to work for your animal, big game hunting is such a pain. It's hike, 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 work, 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 get an animal, and then immediately start working. You got to field dress it. You got to bone it out, or the way I do it, you got to pack it out, which is a pain in the butt. But you got to get home, then you got to process it, and then you got to wrap it, and then you got to put it in the freezer. And it's just like the only thing fun is that adrenaline rush you get in that 15 seconds of pulling the trigger. Like, that's it. Um, where, to me, small game hunting is so much more fun. One, I get to, I get to hang out with one of my best friends, my Brittany, uh, Max, and I also get to hang out with buddies. You don't have to be as quiet when you're bird hunting. You can walk along with a couple buddies and bullshit and hang out and have fun and laugh. You're not sneaking around being all sniper-ish and, and crazy quiet. Um, I also like small game hunting because I get action. I might kill. I might get a pull trigger a dozen times in a day. I might only pull it once, but I might get a pull a dozen. And if I'm waterfowl hunting or I get into a few cubbies of quail, I might go through a whole box. I might go through 25 shots. I might pull up thing 25 times. That's fun. That's exciting. And they're delicious. It's, the problem is, is that I would have to 
I would have to hunt all year and be super successful every day. I'd almost have to bag limit every day of the hunting season to bag enough uh, waterfowl and upland birds to equal one deer, let alone one elk. So I, I big game hunt for meat and I small game hunt for pleasure. Uh, I love working with my dog. Um, I love all the nostalgia around uh, small game hunting. Um, you get into old shotguns, it's kind of fun. Uh, you know, clothing, just everything. I mean, the literature, the... It's a, it's a sport of kings, you know? I mean, that's, that's originally... It was a sport of the wealthy. The wealthy always bird hunted or small game hunted. Um, it just got a unique, it's a completely, it's a completely different style of hunting. It is, it is as much hunting um, as anything, but it's, it's just done so different. Uh, most, most people that are first timers uh, hunting, I like to take them bird hunting because it's so laid back. It's so easy. Now, I wouldn't say easy, but it's it's laid back. Uh, there's more game. There's more opportunity, and it, it just it, it brings you it, you leave feeling with a sense of accomplishment um, and a sense of adventure. Where big game hunting to me, I mean, trust me, I love it. I've been doing it for thirty plus years. It. It's just work. It's just work. It's frustrating. Yeah, once you finally accomplish it and you get something down and you get it taken care of and you put it in your freezer, yeah, you got a great sense of pride and you feed your family for a while. It's awesome. But I'm, I personally am not that big game hunter that looks for trophies, that looks for putting things on his wall and bragging rights. And, and you know, I, there's a group of guys out there that are just nothing wrong with it they're just obsessed they're obsessed with big game hunting um and that's cool like i've been there when i was younger i was obsessed with big game hunting and now i at my age i'm just i enjoy hanging out with my dog and training my dog and watching him grow it's kind of like a kid you you teach him stuff and then you see him do it in the field and then he teaches me stuff and i do it in the field <laughs> and you know, like I said, I can take the kids out, you can take the wife out, um, or if you're a woman and you're hunting, you can take your husband out if he doesn't hunt, anybody, you, you can take people out, you don't need a whole lot of gear, you don't need a whole lot of experience, you don't have to be super quiet, you don't have to have camouflage, uh, it's it just the cost of entry is so much lower, and the rewards are better, I think, um, like I said, the only downside is you're not going to get a bunch of meat uh, at the end. But, there again, um, I, I can't say that's always true. Me and my buddies have gone duck hunting, and we've had days where we've killed several geese and several ducks and come away with 30, 40 pounds of meat um, in one day. So, I mean, you know, there, there's times. I, I bet you this... I probably went out, oh gosh, I probably went out at least 20 times duck and goose, waterfowl hunting. It's called waterfowl hunting. 
this last year, and I probably brought home for the entire season, mm, I probably brought home close to 50 pounds of meat, uh, but I have a good area. Um, we have a group of guys that hunt together, which is a lot of fun. Uh, my wife hates getting wake, woken up at 5 o'clock in the morning every morning when I get picked up to go bird hunting, but um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the nice thing about waterfowl hunting is you can sit in a blind, um, bring breakfast and coffee with you, and just hang out, BS, and then when the birds come in, it's time to get serious, and, and, uh, and you, you shoot some birds. Um, now, I know I paint that picture pretty vague, but there's a lot of work that goes into it. You gotta, usually you gotta hike quite a ways with all your decoys and stuff on your back, which is a lot of weight, usually through marshes with waders on. Um, once you get out there, you gotta spend an hour or so before daylight getting your decoy spread set up, getting your blind fixed up the way you want it, making preparations and tactical maneuvers and how everything's going to work out, wind direction. There's a lot that goes into it. We literally don't just plop our butts in a blind and shoot ducks that fly over it. It's as nice as that sounds to me because I'm lazy. Um, there's a lot more to waterfowling than that, which I will probably get into later this year. But, um, yeah, so so it's not easy, but it's fun. It's, it's, it's more of a... It's more of a group sport uh where where big game hunting is a is a singular sport it's you going out trying to be as quiet as possible trying to outthink and outsmart uh an animal and dispatch it bring it home and eat it um that's pretty much it there's not a lot of camaraderie there's not a lot of guys that go out there and do it together um it's kind of a one-man thing where up bird hunting or small game hunting can be now something I haven't done that I would love to do and I don't know if we'll get to it anytime soon is is squirrel hunting um, I see all those midwesterners out there squirrel hunting and uh, oops slip of the tongue I didn't mean to call midwesterners middle easterners <laughs> because they're they're east of me so I consider it the middle east not the middle west so that's just a little joke of mine but anyways uh, my buddies that from the Midwest, they, they hate it when I say that, so I like to refer to them as the, uh, the Middle East. Anyways, uh, but yeah, getting out uh, in the Midwest and, and doing some uh, squirrel hunting, I always thought would be super cool. I would love to try squirrel uh, here. There are some, <laughs> where I live, there's some invasive eastern gray squirrels, but uh, they're usually in, in suburban areas. I don't find too many of them in the rural areas, but uh, the other squirrels we have around here are protected, so you can't really hunt them. Um, so I don't really have squirrels that I can go after necessarily here. Otherwise, I would be eating squirrel already. And then other things is rabbits, uh, cottontails, stuff like that. I don't really have a good dog for that. Actually, I have... Uh, I have a greyhound and lab mix. She might actually hunt rabbits pretty well. I know Max will chase him a little bit, but uh, it's not he's not exactly the best rabbit dog. And uh, so I actually have three dogs. I have Emma, which is my lab massive cross. 
and uh, Abby, which is a Greyhound Lab Cross, and then Max, which is my Brittany. And I guess if we could kind of, I can kind of introduce you to my dogs and explain kind of how I go about my dogs. Is that uh, so? I've had many dogs over my lifetime. I when I was younger in high school, I was really big into hound hunting, uh, hunting raccoons uh, at night with hounds. That was a huge thing for me and my buddies. We loved doing it. We spent all weekend. Uh, as soon as it got dark, we'd take off and run the countryside with our dogs and, and looking for raccoons. And uh, that was usually our weekends through the fall and, and winter. Um, and then I got into waterfowling, got rid of my hounds, got a lab, and I've had several different types of, of bird dogs, uh, German short hairs labs, a um, bunch of other things. Anyways, long story short, or short story long, however you want to say it, uh, once me and my wife got together, uh, I, I was dog-free for a while and uh, trying to get a career going. And so I kind of put dogs and, and animals aside. And my wife is not really an animal person. She loves animals, but she's not, she's not an animal person like me. Uh, when I grew up, I grew up on a farm. I had all kinds. Of, I had, at one time, I had 126 different kinds of show Bantam chickens were like little mini chickens. Um, I grew up with a whole flock of pigeons. I had ferrets, rats, hamsters, turtles, gerbils, squirrels, man, you name it. I had it as a pet. Um, there was even a short period of time where um, we adopted a baby fawn that its mom had got hit on the road and uh, nursed it back to health and let it go. And which is not exactly legal, but when you're five, you know, and your dad brings home a, a, a baby deer, it's kind of cool. So, um, anyways, but, uh, yeah, I, I grew up around animals. I showed and raised horses. I showed and raised uh, sheep and all kinds of different critters. You know, that was just how I grew up. And so when I met my wife, I was in my early, mid-20s, and, I was done with all that, and I was going to be a career man. I wasn't going to be a farmer. And so I had no animals. And um, once the boys got a little bit older, and we decided, well, it's time to get a dog, uh, I immediately was like, well, I want a purebred lab because I can waterfowl hunt with it. I can upland bird hunt with it. I just labs are great dogs. Well, my wife being the huge heart that she is that says, no, if we're going to get a dog, we're going to get a rescue. Well, in my head, if it ain't a purebred hunting dog, it's absolutely worthless. So we went rounds and rounds about that. And finally she won as always. And the next thing I know, we have this little black dog, which her, her story is crazy. She actually came from a rescue from a puppy mill in Arkansas, and we adopted her, and I think I paid actually money for a mutt. I don't even know what it was, like three $400. But she was a little older. She was like five months old. She had shots. She's already been uh, kennel trained and and, uh, and a bunch of stuff. The lady that fostered her was, was uh, great with her. It, it did a lot. Anyways. So we paid for this dog, and beautiful little dog. She looked like a little black lab, but with a white chest, and uh, very, very smart dog. 
Anyways, that's that was Abby, and she was the Greyhound uh, lab mix. And anyways, I figured, well, you know what? She's got some bird dog in her. Maybe I can make a bird dog out of her. Well, and she does. She 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 can hunt birds, but that dog has such long legs and covers so much ground. Um, and she's a flushing dog, so it's great when you have dogs like. German short hairs, or even German wire hairs, or Vigilas, or wire runners that have long legs uh, to get out there and run because as soon as they see a bird, they're going to freeze up and point and give you time to catch up and flush the bird and shoot it. Well, with Abby, she liked to do all that herself. And so uh, either I was running constantly uh, to keep up with her, or I would see the birds flush out 200 yards ahead of me. So it was really hard to break her of that, which she liked to get out there and, and chase a few birds for me. And, and, and I shot birds over her when she was younger. Um, and then she started having soreness issues and stuff. And so I kind of retired her at around age three. And now she's just our house dog. We call her grandma because she's just grumpy and barks at everybody. Uh, and then we have Emma, which was our second dog. And Emma came about... After we had, uh, my wife decided she wanted a little uh, Chihuahua uh, Dachshund cross. Little, they call them Chihuahuas. And uh, cute little dog. Awesome little dog. Stupid thing. You could not potty train that thing for nothing. Um, matter of fact, I hated that dog. It was a pain in the butt. But uh, at a year old, we took the dog into the vet and had her fixed and... We had complications unbeknownst to us or the vet. Uh, the dog had uh, allergic reaction to the stitches after the surgery. And by the time we figured out what was going on and a lot of money later and a lot of frustration later, um, she passed away. And it broke my daughter's heart, broke my wife's heart. And so their solution was, oh, well, we how do we get another dog? And I said, ha all right, now it's time to get me that purebred lab. And so thinking that I've been a good father, you know, I've taken care of this little Chewiti, even though I hated its guts. Um, you know, I was sad when it passed away. Uh, I have had tried to hunt with Abby. You know, I, I feel for, you know, around five years, I was doing a good job at being a patient, patient man to get, what I needed, as long as the family got what they needed first. So I think, all right, it's time to get this lab. Well, what ended up happening is that <laughs> my wife found a Craigslist ad that said purebred lab puppy for sale. So uh, we said, oh, cool, you know, it's close to our house. We'll go down and check it out. So we go. We contact these people. We meet them at the local Safeway, and they show me this dog, which beautiful little black puppy uh, but any of you that know anything about dogs especially labs is they have no identifying markings they're either solid black solid gold or yellow or solid chocolate um, they don't or I guess nowadays you got what red and silver as well but they don't have any markings on them well this dog happens to have a big white star on her chest and so I asked the guy, he said, so, uh, what's the deal? I thought you said this dog was papered. Oh, yeah, 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 it's got papers, it's got papers. 
Well, come to find out what he was calling papers was their birth vaccinations for their first round of shots, and it was a piece of paper. So he wasn't lying. But the papers I were talk- was talking about was like her AKC registration papers. Well, they didn't have that. And they wanted $400 for this dog. So I'm looking at these guys like, yeah, you guys are, you guys are full of it. And, uh, of course, my wife, being the big heart that she is, just fell in love with this thing. And since her dog just passed away, I couldn't be too shrewd about it. And so I asked the guy, I said, so, well, what's this dog? What is this dog really? And he said, well, I don't know. They told us she was a lab. And he says, the mom was a lab. I seen the mom. And the mom was in a pen with uh, a bull mastiff. And I said, oh. Great. Well, that's what she ended up being. And <laughs> beautiful dog. Like, she she definitely took the uh, skeletal structure of the lab, so she had fairly short legs, uh, nice long back. Looks very lab-like, uh, but she got some of the massive width in the head and definitely the girth and the muscle mass of, of the massive. So she looks a lot like a, an old English lab. Very beautiful dog. It's funny, that dog is is a mix, but uh, one of the most athletic bird dogs I've ever been around, water dogs. Uh, I've seen her uh, swim rivers in flood stage to get ducks. I've watched her dive under uh, log jams to get to the other side and go through, crawl through them to get ducks. Uh, she's just, she's a great, great dog, but she's also a mutt, and uh, I, I did make a decent upland dog out of her and she's a great water dog and I've trained the crap out of that dog and she she does good but she's not a purebred lab so me getting older and now Emma's you know three years old Abby's eight years old and uh, I just I'm dying to have a bird dog and at this point in time, I've really been listening to a lot of uh, listening to a lot of bird dog podcasts and all these guys with their purebred whatevers, you know. And I go out to the pheasant release sites and go pheasant hunting with my mixed breed labs. Which, on a side note, my dad uh, actually has his own breed of dog, and he took German Shorthair and lab and cross that and then took the mother of that and started crossing them with uh australian cattle dogs or as most people know as blue healers but uh crossed those dogs and actually came out with one heck of a smart little fast flushing dog um which is a story for another time but anyways i, I was just dying to have me a pointing dog and it, it, it just, it was killing me that I didn't have a purebred pointing dog. And then fast forward a year or so, and a friend of mine happened to uh, get a dog. He just had a kid. Um, they had a nice little house, and so they decided they needed a little dog. And they ended up inheriting a Brittany, which he was a young, young dog. He's only a year or two old. Uh, and they inherited him from some friends of theirs who happened to get a divorce. And uh, so uh, they end up with this dog, 
and anybody that knows anything about bird dogs, especially pointers, especially Britneys, is that they are crazy. Um, German Shorthairs, uh, well, any, any of those dogs are high strung, but this dog was just, he's crazy high strung, and he gets so excited about anything and everything that he will literally spin in circles, and he doesn't have a clue why. He just he gets so excited. He's got ADHD. He's got, I don't know, whatever. He might even have autism, for all I know. I mean, that dog is obsessive, compulsive disorder. <laughs> He's got it all. Anyways, um, so my buddy, he decided to sell his house uh, maybe a month after he ended up with this dog. He was They weren't really dog people, and especially not a dog with special needs like, like Max. And he's constantly running off. Uh, he, Mark, he, Max is so smart that he knows how to unlock gates, so you have to specially lock all kinds of gates. Um, he's a, he's a Houdini and, uh, anyways, so he's telling me about him and I told him, I said, man, I, I will take that dog off your hands. I will absolutely take this dog. And so eventually they sold their house and they had to get rid of him. So I ended up with this dog. And so I have a year to two year old Brittany. I'm not, still not quite sure exactly how old he is. Um, basically with no manners. Uh, the, the original people didn't do anything with him. It sounds like they let him run their property and do whatever he wanted. And uh, my friend didn't have him long enough to really do much. And plus, he was like I said, they're not really dog people, so he wasn't much into training. Uh, just kind of let the dog do his thing. So anyway, so I end up with this dog. Well, not understanding that he has a thing about getting out of gates, uh, he starts to go getting through my chain link gate about every other day he's gone he runs for three four hours and finally comes back to the house uh he just he doesn't listen he's got no manners whatsoever so i end up having to uh buy myself a shock collar and do a little shock training with him which didn't take much one or two times uh very smart like i said very responsive dog but with a lot of these dogs like this if you're going to make them a house dog if you're going to make them a house pet uh you got to be smarter than them so it took me a while with my other two dogs pretty docile easy going i had to outsmart this dog and it took a little while and a lot of exercise and some obedience training and a few other things but now he's a great dog and uh i have no dogs with pedigrees Max didn't have any papers or pedigrees. He was fixed when I got him. I have no idea where he came from. I have an idea that he came from a kennel somewhere in Idaho. That's that's all I know. And that's just hearsay. So I have this Brittany and two lab crosses, which most bird dogs would, bird dog owners, serious bird dog owners would turn their nose up. But I've killed grouse. I've killed quail. I've killed ducks. I've killed geese. I've killed pheasants i've killed just about anything and everything under the sun except for a checker uh with these dogs and i guess what i'm saying is is that i love these dogs they're like my children and getting out and hunting with them is way more fun to me than big game hunting and what i see them do and watch them hunt and watch the enjoyment that they get out of hunting uh, to me is worth it 
Now, would I still rather have a purebred dog? Absolutely. But would I trade my three dogs or any one of my dogs for a purebred? No. Because they're now my family and I, and I love them. But someday when those dogs pass on and I have the ability to buy a purebred dog, I'm going to. <laughs> but at now, um, I just enjoy my dogs. I enjoy hunting with my dogs. And um, it's definitely something for a first-timer, uh, especially if you're somebody that is alone. You can get yourself a bird dog. It gives you company. gives you somebody to go out in the woods and hang out with. Um, but it's just, I, I, I enjoy it. So I don't know where these podcasts go. I just ramble on about nothing. And uh, that was a story about my dogs and what I have for dogs and how I have them. So, um, yeah, I guess I got nothing better to talk about. So that's what you get. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So that'll be it for today. I'm going to finish my beer and then I'm going to go do something else. So hope you guys have a good weekend and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening to this mediocre outdoors podcast. And please don't forget to leave a review. The right hand most star would be the best. But do what you think is best. Also, if you would like to contact me about a comment, a question, or even new content that you would like to see, you can get a hold of me at Instagram, Mediocre Outdoors. All one word, all lowercase. Thanks for listening.